0: Hello and welcome. This is BP's second quarter 2016 results webcast and conference call. I'm Jess Mitchell, BP's Head of Investor Relations, and I'm here with our Group Chief Executive, Bob Dudley, and our Chief Financial Officer, Brian Gilvary. Also with us for the Q&A is the Chief Executive of our Upstream, Bernard Looney, and Tufan Ergen-Bilgik, Chief Executive of our Downstream. Before we start... I need to draw your attention to our cautionary statement. During today's presentation, we will make forward-looking statements that refer to our estimates, plans, and expectations. Actual results and outcomes could differ materially due to factors we note on this slide and in our UK and SEC filings. Please refer to our annual report, stock exchange announcement, and SEC filings for more details. These documents are available on our website. Thank you, and now over to Bob.
1: Thanks, Jess. So welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us. It's been an eventful quarter. I think we can certainly say that. At the same time, our sector has seen some strengthening in oil prices, and at BP, we've had a few significant events of our own. In Norway, we joined forces with Det Norsch to create Aker BP. In Baku last month, we launched our new upstream strategy. And earlier this month, you saw us draw a line under the remaining uncertainties around our Deepwater Horizon liabilities. So while the environment has remained challenging, we've continued to put our energies into shaping a much stronger future for the group. It's a future we feel very good about. We've established more efficient ways of working and moved quickly to do so. Our track record of excellence when it comes to execution is getting stronger all the time and we are drawing on deep relationships built up over many years, many decades in some cases. That allows us to work really well with our partners, to be innovative and to move fast and effectively where we see mutual advantage. It also helps to have a long history. Our ability to learn and adapt to challenging circumstances has been proven many times over. It's part of what defines BP. And it's why we are confident in our ability to navigate a rapidly changing world, come out stronger, and carry on creating value for shareholders for decades to come. For today, I'll start by looking in more detail at the environment and our response. And I'll look at how we're not just demonstrating our resilience, but how we are making our business model more sustainable, and how we have a new phase of growth within our sites. As usual, Brian will take you through the detail of our second quarter numbers and a reminder of our medium-term guidance. And I'll come back to update you on the ongoing progress and outlook for our upstream and downstream businesses. Then at the end, as always, there will be plenty of time for your questions. Let's start then with how we see the macro environment. As we expected, growth in global oil demand remains strong, and we have seen some slowing in global supply growth stemming from supply disruptions, partially offset by the continued increase in Iranian production. In the United States, production continues to decline, and we anticipate a further drop in the third quarter, but with producers slowly adding back rigs, production should stabilize by year end. While some of the factors that have recently supported oil prices may only be temporary, we see the overall fundamentals bringing the market into balance during the second half of this year. Over the last quarter, we have seen oil prices strengthen in anticipation of this rebalancing with some weakening primarily due to the strong dollar in the last week or so. The longer-term fundamentals for the industry also remain robust. However, for the time being, oil in- inventories remain high, well above their five-year average, shown in the green band, and these inventories could still hold back further increases in oil prices for a while yet. So the forward curve is flattened, although it still remains positive. Markets also remain cautious as they await more clarity around the impact of Brexit on oil demand. Turning to BP, our primary objective, as you know, is one of growing value for shareholders over the long term. As we laid out to you last year, we have a set of enduring principles to guide us, and we are holding firmly to those principles. First is always our relentless focus on safe and reliable operations. It is not only safer for people and the environment, but provides reliable cash flows. We're even more conscious of the need to improve this every day as we work to reset our business for the current circumstances. We also continue to actively build and refine a strong, balanced portfolio, which we manage for value over volume. In these tough times, it's very clear how being an integrated group has enhanced our resilience. The environment today is also a strong reminder of the merits of having already reshaped our portfolio through around $75 billion of divestment since 2010, including our interest in TNKBP, and this mostly when prices were much higher. Today, when you include our equity interest in Rosnaft, we're a 3.3 million barrel per day company. This means that we are focused on our strengths but can still operate at scale. Our upstream has strong incumbent positions in many of the world's top basins with growth in the near term to 2020 – and beyond that to 2030. And that's without the need for a large acquisition, as some have suggested. In our downstream, we have a strong and focused footprint, including advantage manufacturing assets and an orientation to growth markets with high returns. So we really like the portfolio we have, but we're also looking for opportunities to take advantage of the environment to deepen in assets we see as attractive. And we continue to look for creative repositioning opportunities. You've seen us do this in the lower 48 and in the partnership with Chevron in the Gulf of Mexico to advance the discoveries in the paleogene. More recently, you have seen us do it with Denorsk in Norway. At the same time, we have our selective ongoing divestments, which are continuously high-grading the group-wide portfolio. So making the most of our strong portfolio is important. But we also know we must stay very focused on capital and cost discipline, even as oil prices start to strengthen. It's about using our scarce capital wisely to preserve our growth objectives while making sure that all the changes we make now are sustainable for the future. In the upstream, you'll have heard Bernard referring to this as making it stick. It's about changing the way we think about our business, adopting a manufacturing approach across all our businesses so that we're always competing at the lower cost end of the supply curve. We've been on this path for some time, and most of this will not be new with you. What the last 18 months has proven is that these principles provide a consistent direction to our business. We continue to believe it is helping us set the right course for both the current environment and for the future. All of this works towards the most important of principles, that of growing sustainable free cash flow and shareholder distributions over the long term. We've made a lot of progress so far in 2016. As predicted, the first half environment has been challenging. But as we look through the seasonal fluctuations in quarterly earnings, our business is proving resilient, and this is even before we fully complete our cost rebasing, which will take us into 2017. At the same time, we're making strong progress towards some very important medium and long-term goals. Significantly, following the substantial progress we have made in resolving outstanding claims arising from the Deepwater Horizon accident, our results today incorporate what we believe is a reliable estimate for all the remaining material liabilities to BP. This brings six years of managing the aftermath of the accident towards closure. We can now draw a line under it. It's been a tough period for us, but it has reshaped how we think and how we operate, and it has made us more disciplined. In short, it has made us a better company. We will always be mindful of what we've learned, but we are now able to give full attention to our future. Our focus on safe, reliable, and efficient operations is making us both safer and more competitive. We won't cover all the details today, but it is showing up in our performance, and it is making a difference to the bottom line. We have strong momentum in resetting our organic sources and uses of cash to balance in a $50 to $55 per barrel oil price range, supporting our ongoing commitment to sustaining the dividend. We are holding to our capital frame and now expect capital expenditure to be below our 17 billion dollar guidance for this year and to be in a range of 15 to 17 billion in 2017 depending on where oil prices settle this represents a 30 to 40% drop in capital expenditure by 2017 compared to our peak spend levels in 2013 the group's controllable cash costs for the last four quarters are now some $5.6 billion below 2014 levels, putting us well on track to achieving our goal of a $7 billion reduction in 2017 cash costs compared to 2014. Last month in Baku, as I mentioned, the upstream team set out on a new vision. This showed our agenda for growth in the upstream out to 2030. It also highlighted the 800,000 barrels per day of new net production expected by 2020, including 500,000 barrels of new capacity on stream by 2017 from new projects. Along with continued strong management of our base production, we expect this to drive a growing contribution to group-free cash flow over the medium term, even in a $50 oil price world. Similarly, in our downstream, we're positioned to keep on delivering a strong and resilient contribution to group-free cash flow over the medium term, at average historical refining margins. That comes from the real and material improvement in underlying performance that you will have seen in this business over recent quarters. And we see more opportunity to grow through our access to growth markets. So we expect 2016 to remain challenging, but we are starting to see a much stronger outlook for the group. Near term, our balance sheet remains robust to deal with uncertainties, Looking further out, as oil markets rebalance, we expect to see more support for oil prices. But we are not relying on this. Our confidence comes from being firmly down the path of transforming our business to compete whatever the future holds. I'll come back to some of these points in more detail, but for now, let me hand it over to Brian to take you through the results.
2: Thanks, Bob. Starting with the price environment for the second quarter... Brent crude rose to an average of $46 per barrel in the second quarter, compared to $34 per barrel in the first quarter and $62 per barrel a year ago. The quarter-on-quarter movement reflects the market's anticipation of global supply and demand, rebalancing in the second half of the year. Henry Hub gas prices, which have been on a downward trend since early 2014, showed some recovery towards the end of the quarter, with spot prices averaging $2.10 per million British thermal units. Although prices remain weak, the combination of declining production and increases in gas-fired power generation have helped to limit storage overhang and should continue to support some firming in price over the second half of the year. The global refining marker margin averaged $13.80 per barrel in the second quarter, the lowest second quarter since 2010. It compares with $19.40 per barrel a year ago and $10.50 per barrel last quarter, reflecting some seasonal recovery. However, we expect high product stock levels to continue to keep industry refining margins under pressure. The steadily improving environment has had a positive impact on earnings and cash flow compared to the first quarter. While oil and gas prices have held up well so far in the third quarter, we still expect to see some volatility over the coming months. Turning to the results for the group, BP's second quarter underlying replacement cost profit was $720 million, down 45% on the same period a year ago and 35% higher than the first quarter of 2016. Compared to a year ago, the result reflects lower upstream realizations and a significantly weaker refining environment partly offset by lower cash costs across the group and lower expiration write-offs. Compared to the previous quarter, the result reflects higher upstream realisations, partly offset by higher levels of turnaround activity and a lower contribution from supply and trading. Second quarter underlying operating cash flow, which excludes pre-tax skill for Mexico oil spill payments, was $5.5 billion. This includes a working capital release of $1.3 billion in the quarter, reversing out the $770 million build in the first quarter. This represents robust cash delivery given the onset of seasonal maintenance in both our main businesses. The second quarter dividend, payable in the third quarter of 2016, remains unchanged at 10 cents per ordinary share. In Upstream the underlying second-quarter replacement cost profit before interest and tax of $30 million compares with a profit of $500 million a year ago and a loss of $750 million in the first quarter of 2016. Compared to the second quarter of 2015, the result reflects lower liquids and gas realisations, partly offset by lower costs reflecting the benefits of simplification and efficiency activities and lower rig cancellation spend and lower expiration write offs and DDNA. Excluding Russia, second quarter reported production versus a year ago was 1% lower. After adjusting for entitlement and portfolio impacts, underlying production increased by 1.5%. Compared to the first quarter, the result reflects higher liquid realizations partly offset by lower production in part due to seasonal maintenance activity and higher expiration write-offs. Looking ahead, we expect third quarter reported production to be lower than the second quarter due to seasonal turnaround and maintenance activities and the impact of the plant outage at the Enterprise Pascagoula gas processing plant in the Gulf of Mexico. Turning to downstream, the second quarter Underlying replacement cost profit before interest and tax was $1.5 billion, compared with $1.9 billion a year ago and $1.8 billion in the first quarter. The fuels business reported an underlying replacement cost profit before interest and tax of $1 billion, compared with $1.4 billion in the same quarter last year and $1.3 billion in the first quarter of 2016. Compared to a year ago, this reflects a significantly weaker refining environment, partly offset by lower costs from simplification and efficiency programs and increased fuels marketing performance. Refining operations in the second quarter were strong, with Solomon availability at 95.7%, the highest since 2004. Compared to the first quarter, the result reflects a lower contribution from supply and trading after a strong first-quarter result, and a significantly high level of turnaround activity, partly offset by a stronger fuel's marketing performance and higher refining marker margins, although these were largely offset by weaker crude oil differentials and product mix impacts specific to our refining portfolio. The lubricants business reported an underlying replacement cost profit of $410 million in the second quarter, compared with $400 million a year ago, and this brings the first-half pre-tax earnings to $800 million. The petrochemicals business reported an underlying replacement cost profit of $90 million, compared with $80 million a year ago. In the third quarter, we expect turnaround activity to remain high at a similar level to the second quarter, and that industry refining margins will continue to be under pressure. Based on preliminary estimates, we have recognised $246 million as our estimate of BP's share of Rosneft's underlying net income for the second quarter, compared to $510 million a year ago and around $70 million in the first quarter of 2016. Our estimate of BP's share of Rosneft's production for the second quarter is just over 1 million barrels of oil equivalent per day, an increase of 1.3% compared with a year ago, and broadly flat compared with the previous quarter. Further details will be available when Rosneft report their second quarter results. Following the decision taken at Rosneft's General Shareholders' Meeting in June, we are expecting to receive a dividend of around $335 million after tax based on current exchange rates by the end of July. The dividend represents 35% of our share of Rosneft's IFRS net income in 2015, an increase from a 25% payout ratio in prior years. In other business and corporate, we reported a pre tax underlying replacement cost charge of $380 million for the second quarter, bringing the charge for the first half to $550 million. This is below guidance year today, but we continue to expect the average underlying quarterly charge for the rest of the year to be around $300 million. The underlying effective tax rate for the second quarter is 21%, lower than a year ago, mainly due to changes in the mix of earnings, partly offset by foreign exchange impacts on deferred tax balances. Turning to the Gulf of Mexico, oil spill costs and provisions. As Bob noted, following significant progress in resolving outstanding claims arising from the 2010 Deepwater water rise accident and ore spill, we announced on July 14th that we can now reliably estimate all of the remaining material liabilities in connection with the incident. This has resulted in a pre-tax charge for the second quarter of $5.2 billion. The total cumulative pre-tax charge for the incident is $61.6 billion, or $43.4 billion after tax. With a full $20 billion already paid out of the Trust Fund, BP is paying for the claims and other costs formerly funded out of the Trust as they arise. The pre-tax cash outflow on costs related to the ore spill for the second quarter was $1.6 billion. Now, this slide compares our sources and uses of cash in the first half of 2016 To the same period a year ago. Underlying operating cash flow, excluding pre tax oil spill related outgoings, was $8.5 billion for the first half, which included a working capital release of $520 million. First half Gulf of Mexico oil spill payments were $2.7 billion. Divestment proceeds amounted to $1.9 billion, including $300 million from the partial sale of the group shareholding in Castrol, India during the second quarter. Organic capital expenditure was $7.9 billion in the first half and $3.9 billion in the second quarter. Now turning to our financial frame. We continue to reset the capital and cash cost base of the group. As already mentioned, we now expect capital expenditure to be below $17 billion this year and to be between $15 to $17 billion for 2017 depending on the prevailing oil price. Our plans to reduce 2017 controllable cash costs by $7 billion compared to 2014 are on track. We are moving steadily towards rebalancing organic sources and uses of cash by 2017, at oil prices in the range of $50 to $55 per barrel. This currently defines the framework for our ongoing commitment to sustaining the dividend. Actual inflows and outflows will reflect ongoing recalibration to the environment, including optimisation of capital expenditure and any changes to the portfolio. Our ultimate aim over time is to sustain a position where operating cash flow from our business covers capital expenditure and the dividend. Once rebalancing is achieved and based on our current portfolio, free cash flow is expected to start to grow at prices similar to where we are today. This is supported by the stronger cash flows expected from the next tranche of upstream project startups and resilient performance from the downstream. If the price environment improves, we will look to ensure the right balance between disciplined investment for even stronger growth and growing distributions to shareholders over the longer term. We continue to expect 3 to $5 billion of investments in 2016 and around 2 to $3 billion per annum thereafter – in line with our historical norms. The proceeds from these divestments provide additional flexibility and cover for our Deep Water Horizon payment commitments in the United States. As a reminder, non-operating restructuring charges are expected to approach around $2.5 billion in total by the end of 2016, with around $1.9 billion incurred so far since the fourth quarter of 2014 and 70 million dollars incurred in the second quarter. The impact on cash flow will reduce as we move through the second half of 2017. Lastly, looking at gearing, at the end of the second quarter net debt was 30.9 billion dollars and gearing was 24.7 percent within our target gearing band. With that I hand you back to Bob.
1: Thanks, Brian. Now turning to the outlook for our businesses, let's start with a reminder of the new vision that our upstream team laid out last month in Baku. Bernard told you about how the upstream has been transformed over the last several years. He and the team talked about how safety and reliability is job number one and how we continue to drive year on year improvement in this area and about the balance in our portfolio and how we manage it for value over volume, as I described earlier. The team highlighted how our world-class organization and our functional model is making the upstream more competitive in everything we do. They also talked about our drive for efficiency and how both capital and cash costs are coming down with more still to come. Importantly, we talked about growth. Growth that is imminent and which supports an aim to deliver 7 to $8 billion of pre-tax-free cash flow to the group in 2020 at a $50 oil price assumption. It doesn't stop there. The Upstream team also demonstrated our capacity to continue to grow organically from 2020 to 2030, underpinned by our existing 45 billion barrels of resources and a strong focus on capital discipline and returns. So we covered a lot of ground in Baku, and you can find the materials on our website. I am going to only briefly touch on a few highlights today. So looking first at how we allocate our capital. In the upstream, we currently estimate 2017 capital expenditure to be around 13 to 14 billion dollars, which is 35 percent lower than we forecasted back in 2014. We have a strict capital discipline process that is informing the choices we make and ensuring they are the right ones for resilience and growth. It starts with established hurdle rights, and that means analyzing every pre-feed project, optimizing it, and ensuring that its economics are robust. We're seeing that in action today with the recycling of projects like Browse and Pike. We've also pared back expiration and are focusing our efforts on adding barrels with a short cycle time. In the lower 48, Iraq and Alaska, where we have vast resources, we've reduced our spend while retaining the flexibility to scale up activity should prices strengthen. We're also adding new projects and activity. In Indonesia, for example, the recent sanctioning of the Tangu expansion project will add a third LNG process train and 3.8 million tons per annum of production capacity. It is one of the lowest cost of supply additions in the world, and in Egypt, the recently sanctioned development of Atoll will help provide much-needed additional gas to the domestic market. As we continue to lower our capital intensity and maintain discipline, we do not see a need for material growth and capital spend to meet our future growth plans. We're also very focused on performance improvement. We expect upstream cash costs to reduce by $4 billion by 2017 compared to 2014 spend. This is a 30% drop and represents a major contribution to the group's $7 billion target. We've reset the organizational footprint, making it one-third smaller than three years ago. We've focused on engaging our people in continuous improvement and eliminating waste and duplication, and we have hundreds of initiatives underway across the segment. These include increasing workforce productivity, and interventions to standardize, simplify, and optimize what we do every day. These initiatives are being embedded into the organization to ensure we make efficiencies, which will endure into the future. And we're also addressing our third-party spend, as it represents a significant portion of our capital spending and around 50% of our cash costs. And we've seen a big reduction in cost by working closely with our suppliers and through competitive bidding. At the same time, we are focused on the efficiency of our projects and operations, and we're seeing productivity increasing as we try new things and bring in new technology, called innovation. For example, by enhancing oil recovery and increasing the amount of drilling we do, we have reduced planned deferrals, increased plant reliability, and established a four-year track record of base decline of less than 3%. For planning purposes, we expect our future base decline to be in the 3 to 5% range. Our production costs are now top quartile, and we estimate that 75% of these reductions can stick, no matter the oil price, the rest being market related. So we've achieved a lot, but we're deeply determined to do more. We have many more ideas to drive this level of performance further. Now turning to growth, as I mentioned earlier, we continue to expect 800,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day of new production by 2020. Of this, we expect 500,000 barrels of new capacity to be in place already by the end of 2017. And this is, on average, 70% complete and ahead of schedule and budget. To date, in 2016, we've started up four projects, including, most recently, a major water injection project on our Thunder Horse platform in the Gulf of Mexico, which will increase reservoir pressure and enhance production. Around 90% of the 800,000 barrels relates to projects that have passed through the final investment decision, or FEED, and which are well under construction. For example, we have installed the remaining modules on Clare Ridge in the North Sea, and the Glen Lyon FPSO is now on station in the Chehalyan Field west of Shetland. The remaining barrels are expected to move to the construction phase by 2017 or early 2018, and we have a long list of projects we could sanction in the next 18 months or so. That list includes the Mad Dog Phase 2 extension, further development of the Oman-Kazan field, Angeline in Trinidad, some Indian gas projects, the Trinidad Compression Project, and Platina in Angola, Block 18. We're continuing to optimize these projects, testing their costs and margins carefully against historical and competitor benchmarks. We will only proceed when we are ready and the projects are the best they can be. We can do that because we don't have to sanction all of them to deliver our growth objectives. Last but not least, our pipeline of new projects is high quality. These projects deliver, on average, around 35% better margins than our base assets today at a flat oil price environment. And they also come with development costs around 20% lower on average than the existing portfolio. Looking beyond 2020, we firmly believe we have the capacity to sustain long-term growth, and this is much more than just an aspiration. Excluding Rosneft, we have 45 billion barrels of resources concentrated in 12 key regions. This is the equivalent of 50 years of production at today's level. Importantly, these resources are in fields we know well, with 70% of the non-proved resources in existing producing field areas, and only 20% of the equivalent oil in place is being produced today. We have reviewed each of these fields in detail, area by area, well by well, and can see material opportunity for growth in the next decade. We expect to deliver growth in four ways. First, from growth in and around our existing fields through continued infield drilling, the next phases of existing major projects, and from new projects that progress to FID. This activity is very competitive versus our existing base. Second, from the extension of licenses and contracts to fully exploit our existing positions. Third, from where we see an opportunity for greater value by either divesting or deepening the portfolio. For example, you have recently seen us deepen in the Killeen development in the North Sea. In Azerbaijan, we signed a memorandum of understanding to jointly explore block D230 with SOCAR in the North Absheron Basin and we've also recently agreed to create a joint venture with Rosneft to explore in the vast onshore West Siberia and Yenisei katanga basins. Lastly, we will continue to explore in a more focused fashion, mindful that we are not relying on major exploration success for growth. A good example of this is our recently announced gas discovery in the Baltim South development lease in the East Nile Delta, which is building upon our incumbent position in this region. Turning to our future investment strategy, this will continue to be balanced, targeting a mix of deep water, conventional oil and gas, and unconventionals. And it will include a geographical, geopolitical, and fiscal exposure aimed at diversifying risk and improving our resilience to a broad range of outcomes. This slide takes you forward 15 years. It shows you just one scenario based on realistic assumptions – It has a base decline in the 3 to 5% range, a capital frame that does not have to materially expand, and no need to relax our investment hurdles. There is sufficient definition to our plans to give us confidence in our ability to deliver real growth and to focus selectively on the highest value options. So we now have a much clearer view of the future of the upstream. We are driving performance and making it stick, We're re-establishing a business model that is sustainable in a $50 world, and we are focused on growth both for this decade and the next. Now, in the downstream, the execution of the strategy Tufan and the downstream leadership team laid out in early 2015 is delivering results. We are focusing on improving the performance of an already strong portfolio of manufacturing assets to build a top quartile refining business, and increase the earnings potential of petrochemicals. We are continuing to grow our fuels, marketing, and lubricants businesses and are actively investing in high-return opportunities. And our simplification and efficiency programs are well on track to deliver $2.5 billion of cost efficiencies versus 2014. We aim to be the leading downstream business, as measured by net income per barrel, and as you can see from the chart, we are competitive in our peer group. We will also deliver competitive returns. By this, we mean delivering attractive pre-tax returns and doing this sustainably. From the chart, you will see we have also made progress on this. I'd now like to spend a few minutes taking you through the key elements of this progress in the downstream. This slide outlines the performance improvement we've seen in the downstream over the last 18 months and how, as a result, The business is more resilient to refining margins. On the left, you see pre-tax earnings. They've increased by $2.4 billion, or more than 50 percent compared with 2014, in a similar refining margin environment. Looking at this another way, the chart on the right shows the level of refining margin required to generate a downstream pre-tax return of 15 percent. From the chart, We have reduced the refining margin required to deliver this level of returns by about half, and we can now deliver attractive pre-tax returns, even at industry refining margin levels below the five-year historic range. Looking forward, we expect to sustain this underlying performance improvement, and we have opportunities to improve it further. Let me now show you where the performance improvement has come from, starting with operating reliability and commercial performance in refining. You can see on the slide we are improving in our refining pre-tax earnings. We've more than doubled compared with 2014 at constant refining margins. And we have plans in place to continue to improve performance even further through site-by-site programs, which are focusing on operating reliability, efficiency improvements, advantage feedstock, and optimizing our commercial terms. We are already seeing the benefits, with refining utilization increasing from 88% in 2014 to 92% in the last 12 months, and our advantage heavy crude processing increasing by 25% over the same period. Looking to the future, we expect the earnings potential of our refining business to expand further as a result of these programs. Our fuels, marketing, and lubricants businesses are providing a material and reliable earnings stream with strong returns. These differentiated businesses together generate around 50% of the downstream pre-tax earnings or well in excess of $3 billion per year, and they have a well-established track record of growth. They generate reliable profit and cash flows and have good exposure to growth markets where we intend to f- expand further. The retail business is the most material element of our fuels marketing operations. In our growth markets, we have seen first-half retail volumes increase by 5% year-on-year. We also continue to reinforce our position through strong convenience retail partnerships. Our lubricants business is underpinned by our own customer offers, strong brands, technology, and customer relationships, which have consistently led to year-on-year pre-tax earnings growth. Finally, on the downstream, our simplification and efficiency programs are on track to deliver around $2.5 billion of cost efficiencies compared with 2014. We estimate 2016 downstream cash costs to be more than 20% lower than 2014. We continue to right-size the organization, including all of our businesses and our head office, to make it simpler and leaner. We expect more than 5,000 employee and agency contractor roles to be reduced by the end of next year, compared to the end of 2014, with approximately 4,000 of those already occurring. We will drive efficiency in refining and petrochemicals through site-by-site improvement programs. At the same time, we will ensure that we do not compromise safety, quality, and reliability. So in the downstream, we have a business that is a very material part of BP's overall value proposition to shareholders. It is delivering strong competitive performance today and generating attractive returns. It has been reshaped to be much more resilient to a range of market conditions, and we have further opportunities to grow the business in the future. Now, that's a lot from me, but just to sum up, we're making steady headway in what remains a tough environment. We're sticking to our financial frame, and this is putting us on track to rebalance organic sources and uses of cash by 2017 at $50 to $55 per barrel. This will allow us to sustain our dividend while still maintaining the flexibility to grow. We're also clear on the direction of our business. We believe it is a direction that can withstand the test of a $50 world, and we can still grow sustainable free cash flow and distributions to shareholders over the long term. It is built on our long-held principles of portfolio strength and value over volume, but comes with much greater commitment to discipline in how we execute, how we allocate our capital, and how we drive continuous improvement. It's all about resilience, sustainability, and growth. You can see this at work in the upstream, where the business is transforming itself to grow value. That growth is imminent and clearly visible out to 2020, and also strong to the end of the next decade. And you can see it at work in the downstream, where our effort over the last few years has created a high-performing business with strong resilience to refining margin volatility and ongoing opportunities for growth. So we're feeling very good about BP and our future, despite the challenges. We've adapted to some big changes, and we've drawn a line – under our Deepwater Horizon liabilities, and we have a strong and clear plan to move forward. But we know it's not only about having a plan, but also about having a track record. And we intend to continue to build on that and for you to see it show up in our underlying performance quarter by quarter, step by step.